Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Are you tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? Well, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just watch me love myself That's all I want Got what I want That's all I want I'm not sorry I'm Claire Fallon And I'm Emma Gray And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Hello, hello, and welcome to Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Today we're going to do something a little different from what we've done a little, in the past. A little experiment, if you will. We're doing a mailbag episode today, and I Yay! am so excited. Listener questions. I'm so excited. I was really nervous to be perfectly transparent about doing this because, to me, this is like asking someone out. It's like I ask people to send me questions. and like, what if they don't send me questions? I would feel so rejected. And so thank you to everyone who sent questions. So let's start with a question that I appreciated really uh, for its phrasing, but also for what it prompted me to think about. This is from Liz Waiter. My question for you is, imagine a world in which you're both single and have to be on The Bachelor. This is a Hunger Games-style post-apocalyptic universe, and you've been volunteered as tributes. What would be your individual strategies? Um, I appreciate this because I obviously would never go on willingly. I think that it's clear that neither of us would put ourselves in this position willingly. (laughs) And so there has to be some, we can't just say like, oh, I would never go on the show. No, we have to, we have to think of some strategies We've been conscripted. Like, yeah, we're going on. And imagine that this is the Hunger Games. We can't just be like, oh, at least I'll try to get sent home early. No, I don't want to get an arrow in the throat. I need to try to win The Bachelor. What's my strategy? Gosh. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> can I imagine that I am hot enough to go on this show? Because that also changes well, here's my what strategy. I, I would say, Emma, you are already doing this amazingly. I, I'm trying my best. So much of being hot and attractive to people does come down to confidence and flair. And so... 
I think that we have both definitely invested some time and thought and effort into looking our best, feeling good about our our fashion, our hair, our eyebrow styling. You know, that's important. The important thing that we can do in this situation is be like, okay, we might not be the hottest tributes in this pool of 30, but we can come in rocking like an unusual but sexy gown and yes. and a striking hairstyle, you know, and look like we think we're the hottest person in the room. Come in with like a demi level of confidence. Yeah, I would go for some sort of like jewel-toned, low-backed dress. Um, I, I think I would probably invest, just being honest, in some Botox and a little light filler before going on. Get <laughs> yes, my no. eyebrows done. Like I would like get my teeth up. done. Yeah, my teeth. Just like everything. Just spend all my money on cosmetic procedures yeah. before going in. Really put myself in, in the best position possible. My strategy also would definitely include, like, I don't want to make enemies in the house. Mm -hmm. I would buddy up to everyone. I think this is a strength of mine. I would make friends with everyone so that there there wouldn't be conflict. Even if I sidled up to The Bachelor, everyone would like me so much that they would be less likely to, to see me as someone, like, infringing on their time. And I think that that is very important. Yeah, I wouldn't certainly want to go for the first impression, Rose. Like, should I have that option? Like, that wouldn't be ideal to me. I think I would try to, like, have a good conversation, establish that connection, befriend the other women in the house as much as possible, but not try to, like, go really hot off the blocks here. No. You want a slow burn. You want to be one of those people who's, like, every time that I talk to her... I learned something new. We have a deep, meaningful conversation. We advance. I, I want to know more about her. I'm also never, ever going to talk about another woman w- in, during my time. Right. So much of this is just don'ts. Like, don't yeah. use your time to talk about someone else in the house. Just don't do it. Um, don't get involved in conflict with another contestant in the house if you can avoid it at all um and there's there even if they come at you remove yourself from that situation you know like so much of it is just don't engage with drama don't engage with drama don't engage with drama and keep all your time with the lead completely focused on what you two have in common you know details from both of your pasts what your future might look like together Right. The are love you, you falling? want to build? Are, are you, you falling, falling for them? I would definitely want to say those things at a reasonable pace. I was going to say, you don't want to drop that language too early, Mm-mm. but you also don't want to wait too long. So you have to just sort of lay these breadcrumbs out in a very methodical way um, yeah. without coming off as too practiced. And that would be that would be the challenge. But I think, I look, I think we're up for it. <laughs> I definitely don't. This would all, my beautiful plan would go up in smoke within like moments of entering. I know. Realistically, I would probably just like be crying in the bathroom night one. But like, I'm, I'm thinking of this as like, it is life or death. I have to force myself. You know, it's interesting that you bring up crying. I think I would have to incorporate crying into my strategy because I cry so much so easily. 
or at least I have in other similarly like emotional situations in my life. I don't really cry that much now, but if I were in that setting, I think I'd be very prone to tears. So I think I would have to try to maybe weaponize that, you know, like I'm not going to be the girl who's like, every time I'm with her is a super fun time. It's like, most of the times are fun, but then every now and then I show them a little crack, a little tear, you know, like I get a little comfort that not only sustains me for the long haul. I think that it makes him feel like the protector, right? I think deploying a little mid-season cry, Mm -hmm. maybe when you're talking about just not anyone specific, but how difficult it's becoming to share, see him date other people Mm -hmm. because you're following And that's how you know it's real. Mm -hmm. Like, you know it's real because it's becoming so hard. And all of the other women are so amazing. But it's just hard to share your boyfriend because you are, insert tear, falling. Yes. For him. And also making friends with all of the other women. Like, that is also how you avoid conflict. Good relationship with, with everyone. If someone's not good vibes, you just... You just remove yourself a little bit. Yeah. Sort of like like some Abigail energy. Yeah. I would say pursue a few, a handful of like tight friendships, friendly with everyone else, not causing drama, no eye rolling at anyone. I would have a hard time with that. But I like, would really have to control my face. Really I've have been to told I have rolls. some, a lot of like resting bitch face and like involuntary sort of sullen reactions to things. So I would need to really, I wouldn't need to like practice that before. Yes. There are some more specific questions from Margaret Goodwill about other elements of like what the strategy would be, which I found interesting. What would the producers feature in your intro package? Obviously I'm a single mom and my husband has presumably been killed by the regime for meat or something. And so I think definitely my like blonde curl, blonde ringleted little son would have to feature in it. And I'd be like, I just want to be a good mama for him. But like he needs a daddy. And Mr. Bachelor seems like he would be such an incredible father to complete our family. And he's regime approved, which is like win win. Um, I don't know. What would what would your package be? Wow, yours is so much more compelling than mine. I think that that mine would be the like sad career woman <laughs> finally ready for you know, like she she's achieved everything mm-hmm. in life she wants, but the one thing that's truly important is missing. Like I think that would be the vibe of mine. It would be like, I grew up, I moved to the big city, became like a successful writer, maybe a little like sex in the city reference a little Mm -hmm. Carrie Bradshaw joke just for like a a little bit of cheesiness you know as I sit in in my apartment typing away at my MacBook your sleek uh, MacBook and your beautiful Instagrammable apartment but like there's a sadness there's a Mm -hmm. fundamental sadness and I'm wistfully thinking about where is he where Where is my match where is he I've been dating. I've been dating I'm, for I'm 20 years. Where exactly. is he? Where is he? It's my Charlotte moment. <laughs> like, I'm ready for love. And maybe this amazing man could be the match, could like come in and just be the challenging partner that I need. Yeah. Meet you on your level. You can be a power exactly. couple. He can vil- fill the void in your massive New York 
one bedroom. Massive. Um, <laughs> massive and beautiful. I I I love that for you. I think you would you would really wear the Sex and the City package very well. Yeah. Um, what about limo exits? This is also from Margaret Goodwill. I mean, I would not go for a gimmick. Mm-mm. It's just I I wouldn't do it. It wouldn't work well for me. It wouldn't, I know it wouldn't come off cute. It wouldn't land for me. So I think I would go for like a mostly classic entrance, but maybe throw in some sort of like cheeky one-liner or present some sort of thematic, like small token or gift, like a mm. meaningful thing. And, and and it's hard to say because I would need to tailor it to who the bachelor is. Like, you know, if it was like a, a hulking firefighter or something, I could definitely see myself being like, hi, I'm Emma from Brooklyn, like smile and then be like, you know, I'm just here to see if maybe you can light my fire. Wow. Like a little, like a little little line. Yeah. Like a little line, but nothing too intense. Right. Nothing that like something that might make him remember me slightly, Mm -hmm. but like nothing too risky because I just don't think I could pull it off. Okay. I like that. I, I think for me, there are three sort of good approaches. One is no gimmick. Just try to seem really real and present in the moment. Yeah. And so my first thought was I would just come out and be like, oh, my God, I'm so, like, nervous, nervous. right now. Yeah. This is so intense. But, like, I've been, like, thinking about how excited I am to meet you for so long. And, like, I can't wait to get, you know, to get to know you more inside. That sort of thing. Simple, honest, don't give him any weird associations. I, I think the other is like some sort of meaningful token that will yes. be present in his pocket, remind him to talk to you or remind But you him really of you do after. have to like tailor that to who the person is, right? Not necessarily. Like I think that Michael's Michael's watch was really good. It can be a family That's thing. True. Michael's watch was good because it it had some sort of meaning that wasn't too like raunchy or cheesy it was it seemed kind of thoughtful she didn't end up getting to keep the watch because women don't have pockets in their gowns but um i think that that sort of thing can work um or i could bring max and just be like yes we're a package deal right i wouldn't be the first single parent to do that a cute kid, I mean, that's a good sell. Or, you know, split the difference. I bring a small token that is, you know, like something that Max drew for him. You know, oh, like, that's what, oof. that's it, Claire. Yeah, that's, that's what it. you got to do. It. Your son drew a, a some sort of family portrait that you were like presenting. Like, and he's just missing a daddy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there was a daddy. See how it's crossed out in red crayon? That's because oh, yeah. my did, husband Did was... Ben Scott actually bring his son? Maybe. We were trying to remember on... who brought one. I remember when it happened, everyone was like, Whoa. I thought it was Ben Scott was who ben. ended up being the villain on Des's season. Yeah, maybe not an association I want. So I would definitely not want to bring the actual child, but just a token I from I think we've landed them. on it. A token yeah. from your son is the way to go here. Yeah. Would we be there for the right reasons? Also from Margaret. <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in this scenario that I have still chosen to go with from Liz, um, no, because we're there because we have to be because of the the Hunger Games. By the way, mm-hmm. it is Ben Scott. Um, 
Harry checked, who brought his son, would we be there for the right reasons? I I mean, would I ever go on the show for the right reasons? I don't think so. Would I go for the wrong reasons? Maybe. Like, would I go maybe for a larger platform if it seemed like the best option and it was available to me? Maybe I would. Right. Would I go on because I was being forced to in a post-apocalyptic scenario? Obviously. Yes. (laughs) Would I go on to find love? I don't think so. That being said, um, I'm always open to romance, you know, if I'm single. Well, that's why I say no. It's like the right reasons is a bullshit concept fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're all practical. We're both practical enough to understand that the chances of finding love are low. It's not that I would go in not open to love, but I don't think that that could possibly be my like only or even necessarily primary driver Mm -hmm. of going on the show. There would have to be other benefits that I knew were like much more likely for me to receive. But I think that the right reasons can be maybe capacious enough to embrace that, which is like, would we go on sort of hard-nosed, laser-focused on strategy? Or if we were on the show, would we find it better able to find ourselves better able to succeed on the show if we were open to genuinely connecting. And I think that it's true for me. I would have to open my heart to the right reasons to be any good at this because I'm not good at, at faking rapport with people. And so if I want to survive this scenario, I have to really hope that like I start to genuinely vibe with the the lead, like them be able to. Oh yeah. No, no, I would, I would not last at all if, there was no genuine connection. Yeah. So it's sort of a yes and no for me. Yeah, a yes and no, I guess. And I think that that's often the case with people who win, that they they have something driving them to succeed on the show and stick around that is initially not just love, um, that gives them kind of the nerve to 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 go through with a lot of the early stages. And then they they start to connect with, with the lead. There, so Margaret asked the question in a different way, like, what strategy would you have? And she's mentioned, like, what characters you might embody or what strategies you might use to build strong connections and get time. I definitely don't think you embody the villain character in order to succeed unless you just want to break out in a couple episodes yeah. and then go home. Um, I don't think I would choose to do that. I don't have a strong enough stomach for that. I, I think you really have to that. try to embody, like, the wifey stereotype, like, sweet pleasant, docile, <laughs> attractive. And that's that's going to be like the winning formula. Earnest with a little bit of humor. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I would definitely have to tone down how harsh my humor can be, how acerbic <laughs> my humor can be, and try to make it much more gentle. And strategies, I think, are, are different for women than men a little bit because to get time, because you want to be assertive enough to get the time. It's quicker for for people to to take it poorly if you're assertive about getting time, if you're a woman. I, I think what Catherine did on Sean's season was actually quite effective, where she wrote him notes throughout the season. So, so, so she was having communication with him that was not noticeably taking time from the other women. And I think that I would probably try something like that. Um, this is from Emily Wacker. And now we're getting into some questions that are more about a theme that's near and dear to our hearts friendship (laughs) why do you think friendship has been such an important theme on your podcast 
friendship, especially with other women, has really formed the core of my closest and most intimate relationships um, for a lot of my adult life. So it's, it's for me, something, a theme that sort of always feels present and thus also kind of something that I enjoy seeing mirrored back. I think that friendship is a very, uh, is something that you and I have experienced differently, um, but it's very important to both of us. Yeah. I think that for me, friendship has actually been kind of a mysterious and sometimes difficult to access thing. And so I've, I think romanticized friendship. Um, and as you know, when we started the podcast in my early twenties, I was, um, becoming more settled, but I had been through like a few years, like sort of starting in college of being really unsettled around friendship, not really having enough friendships that felt reliable, uh, feeling like I didn't know how much to ask for from my friends or how much, um, I should give them or be given by them. I've always struggled to make new friends. And so like friendship has always just seemed really precious to me because it's so difficult for me to achieve. (laughs) And I think also like starting with a bachelor podcast, it's just crazy how the show demonizes friendship or especially how much it did when we were starting to watch it. Like, yeah, we, I remember discussing names for our first show and we barely discussed it. Cause you're like, we should call it here to make friends. And we were both like, Oh yeah. Um, because the not here to make friends thing was such a trope that's associated so with present. the bachelor. And we were like the opposite of that. We want the opposite of that. We want friendship. Like I, like it's like uh, crazy to me to associate yourself with like opposition to friendship to friendship right but i do think that the show has always been very suspicious of friendship because friendship is a distraction from time with the lead are you here to fall in love or just to make a bunch of new buddies and um and that has always like kind of weirded me out it really is such a bizarre concept that like having good relationship good platonic relationships would in some way prevent you from accessing an intimate romantic partnership like one only has so much space to think about people in your brain so if you're not thinking about you know how you're falling for the lead 100% of the time and you're also enjoying getting to know the women in the house somehow that's that's a negative whereas like when you look at you know, we were just talking about strategy. And the reality is that you're you're likely to have more success, I think, often, if you can achieve investing in both. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though, is like often friendships are, have been in the past on the show, and especially when we were starting the podcast, depicted really oddly, like that, you know, these two guys are hanging out. Are they gay? Like, you know, these guys are buddies. Do they even care about falling in love? Um, you know, women's friendships, I think we basically don't even really see for many, for many of the seasons at all. And, but I also think that the not here to make friends trope is defensive. It's like something you say when you have not made friends. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I didn't want to. Like, oh, everyone in the house hates me. That's fine. Like, I don't care what they think. Um, and that's why we end up seeing it so much. Because um, obviously, like, I don't think most people want to make enemies. Uh, it doesn't 
feel good. Unless, like, you came on to make a splash by being the villain. Um, But a lot of people just become villains by accident and did not actually come on planning not to make friends. Um, Anyway, I think that the show has definitely drawn my attention more to the question of friendship because of how, like, absent or vilified it was when we started recapping. I actually wonder if this is a good moment to talk about Emma Polizzi's question. Yeah, I think um, so. Which is related. I read your recent article about friendships that have formed within Bachelor Nation, and I enjoyed it very much as friendship versus romantic love is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. While the Bachelor franchise focuses primarily on romantic love, I wonder what this says about how much society values friendships. You wrote about this in your article, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about the way reality dating shows such as The Bachelor contribute to valuing romance over friendship. One platonic love can be just as exciting, comforting, and rewarding as dating. And on the other hand, losing friends can be equally as heartbreaking as a romantic breakup. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I think about a lot and that I have thought about a lot in my life, especially, you know, when I was in my 20s into very early 30s and I was you know, dating, but I was unpartnered for pretty much that entire time in my life. And really, really formative, really, really important years of my life. Like, it it is fairly recent that American women spent good chunks of their adult life building complete social networks, support networks, living situations that were centered around platonic friendship rather than romantic love. And so I think that as a culture, we're probably still kind of settling in how to talk about platonic relationships that are just as exciting and just as significant as romantic ones. Um, And I think that we do it imperfectly. I think there is something about the idea that like, because you can have many friends because we assume there is an ebb and flow there in a way that we don't necessarily assume in romantic love, even though like romantic partnerships can shift and change. And oftentimes people might have more than one romantic partnership at a time. Like we still, I think as a culture um, sort of see romantic partnerships as this thing that should be like lifted above and like more special. And I think it's, it's also something that, often would frustrate me as, as a as a single person um you know going to weddings and feeling like i was you know relegated to the the bunk beds in the kids room because i like showed up with a friend and not a partner or just like there are a lot of little ways that i think that the culture sort of signals especially to women that if you don't have a steady romantic partnership that you are alone and like i spent my 20s very much not alone. I spent my 20s surrounded by so many people, um, so many beautiful friends of all genders. And like those relationships were and remain completely invaluable. And so I think that maybe that's why, in part, why Claire and I are so interested when the show, when The Bachelor or Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, do depict friendships in a way that feels significant. Um, You know, in our article, we talk a little bit about the scene between Jade and Carly on Bachelor in Paradise and how their friendship was like a real centerpiece of one of the seasons. 
And I think getting like allowing friendship to get that sort of romantic, dramatic treatment felt really, really significant at the time. And and looking back, it, it still does. While I was reading this question, I had a lot of thoughts about what is actually going on, like with the Bachelor franchise and with society. And I think one thing you pointed out is that friendship isn't limited. Like, I think that it's very difficult to dramatize something that feels abundant to access, like to go on a show to meet a friend, you know, don't we, don't, don't we all have friends, you know, like, right. Because the very thing you're saying, which is that like, I have always had friends, I can rely on them is why it's difficult to propose a lack that people need filled in their lives. Whereas I, I think a lot of people are single a lot of the time. They don't have a romantic partner. Um, so I think that that abundance can work against friendship in terms of of making it fascinating content. Um, I also think that the way that society is structured right now is actually playing into some of this, even though it's a very traditional thing in certain ways to focus on the nuclear family um, and romantic partnership. But like, people are always moving, I feel like. Like, are, you know, it's if, if we all lived in the same place forever, <laughs> then you might build up a network of friends that feels as permanent as your partner. But in the end, you can't move to be in the same place as, as any or all of your friends. A partner fills that role for most people of like, who is the person that I am going to make clear commitments to about tying my life to them? And that gives it uh, stakes. It gives it dramatic stakes of a certain kind um, that is currently in the way things are structured for us socially is difficult. I don't know. It's just like it feels wrong that that there is this difference. I have certainly had friendships that began with a lot of heart fluttering and excitement and thrill I actually find it very hard to start friendships without that. Like, I think that I do need kind of an infatuation to start a friendship. But then once you have that, there isn't like a clear, you know, sort of consummation to that in the same way. There isn't, you know, the same kind of like intrigue over like the sex component or commitment. I don't know. I think that all of those things make it more difficult to give friendship a narrative arc. It can kind of feel more like it's in the background. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I I actually want to recommend an essay by uh, the writer B.D. McClay in Laugham's Quarterly called Summer, Glorious Summer that is about friendship and literature and kind of addressing this question of like, what kind of story is there to be written about friendship? And I think it has a lot of interesting insights. But one thing she says is, um, when friendship exists in the background, it's unremarkable, but generally uncomplicated. But when friendship becomes the plot, then the only story to tell is about how the friendship ended. And I think that that, that there's a truth to that. Like once a friendship has begun, I think there's often an assumption, a sense of comfort that it will be easy and it will like continue. There's no reason for it to end, Right. Um, and a friendship can end and it can be really heartbreaking. And that's the story, I think, sometimes. But I think that it's it can be difficult to create that drama on a TV show. But maybe it's because we're not trying. I don't know. I do think that probably more could be done to zone in on these friendships and lift them up. Like, 
I do sometimes wonder, like, why don't we have ways to to celebrate like friendship anniversaries the way we do partnerships? Oh my god! Because then, like, I would have so many anniversaries. I'm tired just thinking about it. That's true. It's too much to keep up with. That's actually the reason is that you do have too many partnerships. But I do think that there is something valuable in looking at your friendships as relationships that are as invaluable Mm -hmm. as a romantic partnership. Like I, something that felt really obvious to me getting into a romantic partnership when I was already kind of settled in a lot of ways and and especially became obvious during quarantine is that as many wonderful, incredible things as I get from my partner, which I do, I, I can't get everything from him. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things that I felt myself longing for when I didn't have regular access to my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we would all do better to acknowledge that and n- make sure we're not treating our friendships as disposable in any way. We'll be right back with more mailbag questions. Can you keep up? I like love it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes there will be something that is just like nagging at me, bothering me about something in my life, and I just swirl it around and around and around in my head and don't quite know how to address it. And something that can really help me sort that through and like take action is therapy. I completely agree. I've been really stressed lately because I've just been getting sick over and over again. And before I know it, I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I don't even connect where they're coming from with the actual origin. We all carry around these stressors, right? And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a great safe space to get things off of your chest and figure out how to actually work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love to see it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love to see it. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. 
That's Z-O-L-A dot com. I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily, I can do something about that with Factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, keto, vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well-balanced. I feel full after, and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI50 and use code LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or even not that long knows that we love article. I mean, honestly, I'm looking around my home right now. Coffee tables from article. That lovely chair out on my deck. Article. Our big console. Article. I'm My bed frame. Article. This is an article household. It is. And it's, I mean, it was an inspiration to me. We finally got our first article piece of furniture recently, our new couch. And 
my husband and I are both constantly just like, how did we live before this couch? This is such an improvement over what we had before. It's so comfortable. It just seems to get more comfortable every day. I mean, it's the couch you dream of. And the reason that we have both been able to find ideal furniture on Article is because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. And their team of designers are all about finding that perfect balance between style, quality, and price because we all want the best of all of those three things united in one piece of furniture, right? Plus, they're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and, you know, looks good doing it. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. And we're back. Let's talk about some some more Bachelor Nation type questions from Erica Grant, uh, who sent a bunch of Bachelor Nation questions. Thank you, Erica. Um, favorite Bachelorette? Oh, there's so many good ones. Yeah, Bachelorettes are are tough for me to choose among. <laughs> yeah, I just I they're like, all got love. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think off the top of my head, can I say more than one or do I have to pick one? Try to pick one, to pick one and then be, and then give us some, uh, some runners up. Okay. I know my top three. I'm still like n- unsure of the order. I'll say Emily Maynard. Ooh. One. Rachel Lindsay. Two. Caitlin Bristow. Three. Those are good picks. I think Rachel's my favorite bachelorette. Um, I just love She's being so in her presence. And so that well, made the season. On a personal level, I'm obsessed with her. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought that's... she was a really, also just like a really good bachelorette, like really knew what she was doing, like had it all together. Uh, She's in her 30s. In her 30s. Always love. Always looked amazing. Great fashion. Handled all the guys really well, in my opinion. And so for me, that was, I, I would say, I think that like my favorite season ever to watch was probably Hannah's. Yeah. Which was just, I don't know. It just had that that pop-in combination of like toxic drama and conflict. But like sh- she w- was so fun. And a lot of the guys I think were also fun. She exceeded she expectations. Exceeded expectations. And there was yeah, just like which is good. There were a lot of just like breakout moments in that season. Um, that are that are hard to forget. And so it was a good season. Emily was just really fantastic. She had that, the ability to tell someone off, which is, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think Rachel also had that in spades. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, actually, Hannah was able to do that with yeah. Luke. Like, I love, and I like when it's earned. Right. When the person does something bad enough and then the Bachelorette is able to, like, respond to it in yeah. a strong way. That's, I love watching that. And, like, um, this is sort of aspirational for me because I love telling people off, but it's not always earned. I think that I can be very, like, very harsh and very quick with that. And so what I love watching and find aspirational about Rachel and Hannah and Emily is that there's so much, like, warmth and openness to them, like, right yeah. up until the point when you have absolutely crossed the line. And I admire the ability to, like, hold both of those 
those things, which same, I think are both virtues, same. but can be difficult to val- to balance. Yeah, I know. I think you're absolutely right. Um, should we move on yes. to favorite bachelor? I, you know, it's funny. So my mind immediately went to like, well, least favorite bachelor might almost be easier. <laughs> those are the ones I, I remember. And I was like, hated Peter. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, they don't tend to stand out to me as like people that I really enjoyed watching. Maybe Sean. I, Sean I was going to say Sean favorite. is really up there for me. Like he just something I appreciated about Sean is that he did a really good job of managing earnestness with a sense of humor. And like I remember him being the first bachelor that was really good at publicly poking fun at himself Mm -hmm. and like engaging with the criticisms that people had or like the tropes that he would fall into. And he was very self-aware in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that we got to see some like both some good drama from his season, but he also was able to push back ultimately when there was someone who was not treating the other women well, like he sent Tierra home at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his relationship with Catherine was like genuinely Goals. romantic to watch. He had good taste. I think I'm always, always fond of Ben Higgins and Nick Vial. Me as, too. <laughs> as, as dudes, as leads in di- very different ways. Like not my favorite, absolute favorites i think that's got to be sean but um they bought they brought sort of different energies <laughs> to the leading role but i think that ben has a lot of just like weirdly understated charisma and just like it's pleasant to watch yeah even though he's i can't really describe anything about him like he just like is nice and always happy to see him on my screen like doing crazy things uh like telling two women that he's in love with them and Nick, I thought, was uh, <laughs> just trying so hard to produce his own season. And I think in certain ways successful. Um, but it made for... He was I, decisive. I thought it made for a, an I, interesting season. Yeah. It did. He was always, like, it getting did. women to say that they're in love with him. And then being like, anyway, uh, now that you've said that, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Please go home. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, an older one that I watched way after the fact was Jason Mesnick's season. Mm-hmm. First switcheroo, like classic. Classic. He he's a just had that, I mean, just sweetheart, single dad. You know, I have a, a soft spot for our our first Jewish bachelor. Oh yeah. Um who do you want to be the bachelor next between Clacia and Katie's season from Erica? We've talked about this in a few places, but between those two seasons, my two top picks from Clacia's season are on Paradise. And I it seems like we're going to make it out with someone, uh, Brendan and Ivan. I would be I would be happy to see either of them. I mean, I think Ivan, it feels like Ivan might get caught up in some sort of romantic drama and ultimately not leave with someone like just from the promos. We'll see. Like, who knows? But. I was thinking about this. I was like, to me, Ivan is the person who could potentially break out from BIP to be Bachelor. I think he could if things fall apart with Jessenia. I just don't want it to yeah. happen because I think they're so beautiful together. Um, from Katie's season, this we have not talked about because the rumor from Reality Steve came out more recently than we've really, I think, discussed this in public. 
Reality Steve basically published that Greg is going to be The Bachelor. I do not necessarily... I take whatever is said in these rumors with a grain of salt. Um, We know that it's kind of hard to know for sure until taping starts because they sign contracts with multiple people. They talk to multiple people. I was going to say that. It's been wrong before about his scoops. Um, I hope he's wrong this time. I think it would be bananas to cast Greg. He is someone who has like shown that he does not buy into the process. And like, while I relate to not buying into the process in certain ways, you have to, if you're going to be the lead, like, I think that you have to pay the dues in a certain way of like sucking it up while you're on the contestant side to get to be the lead. Like, I don't think that you can get rewarded for being like, I'm leaving because I don't want to deal with this anymore by being in charge of it. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. He's not a process guy. Keep him off the show. I think that my top pick would have been Michael. Um, yeah. But I, we've, I've heard some some rumors that he did not want the gig. So it might not be Michael. I, I do think still think Andrew and Justin would both be good picks. Me too. And I, I do still think Michael would be a good pick if he is in the running. So... I do want to put in a plug for Michael and I want to, I want to endorse Andrew and Justin as well. Yeah. I think there are a lot of like good options to be honest. There are. Um, And, and also you could go back further. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Mike Mike Johnson's still out there. Hashtag Mike Johnson for bachelor. In my opinion, that campaign has never ended. So why can't it be Mike? Look at his face. Look at his face. That's a bachelor face. Oh, my God. It's crazy He's to so me beautiful. that he has never been made bachelor. But um, between those two seasons, I think there are a number of guys that we would be happy to see. Not Greg. Thoughts on all of the ladies from Matt's season, specifically the crowd who lives in New York, who don't seem friendly with Katie. Why do you think that is? This is also from Erica Grant. It's difficult to say. Obviously, we don't have all the information don't know (laughs) we don't have all the information on what went down uh harry is saying this is a classic east coast west coast rivalry so true (laughs) it's beef um i i mean i think that it's clear that we don't see everything that happens on the show i think that a lot of us saw things that we didn't like from some of the women we saw things we did like from katie and that's valid for us to have opinions on those things. I think then it was like, I think surprising to a lot of people to see the conflict between Katie and some of the other cast at, at women tell all it was surprising to us. Um, We don't know if that is because Katie's personality just doesn't gel with all of these women, or if there was more to the drama that was less flattering to her that we didn't see. Um, or just, you know, that they're just people who, who don't have the same approach to a situation in the house that sounded like it was challenging. I think that there was drama in the house. Women wanted to approach it in different ways. Katie handled it in her own way. And that affected a lot of people. And I do think that that might be part of it that like, you know, if, if, if you thought that it should go down in, in one way, and another woman was like, I'm just going to go to Matt about it and cut right to the chase. 
And then there's a cascading effect, I think, that some of the women continued to have feelings about that. I also think part of this is just, like, indicative of how any friendships form and strengthen. Like, very often, you, the women who come off of these shows lean on each other when the show is filming. I think if you are in an area where there are other women who've had the same experience as you, you're going to end up post-show getting close with the people who live near you or who frequently visit your city. Like, I think that that's very normal and natural. And so if we're talking specifically about the crowd of women who live in New York, yes, maybe some of them weren't, you know, besties with Katie during filming. But I imagine those relationships might look different if Katie, say, lived in New York City and had been there the entire time post-show. Like, we don't, we don't know. We don't know. But I do think, I do suspect that, like, I think some of the women who live in New York were super, super close during filming. But I don't know that all of them were necessarily always agreeing and best friends in everything we saw yeah, on the show. Yeah, drama from the show can definitely ease if you're able to hang right. out in a different setting. Right. I do think also that Women Tell All was... Interesting, not just because it was clear that there was sort of a divide between Katie and much of the house, but also because specifically Katie told a lot of the women that them being bullied online and harassed was karma. And so I do think that there may be a little bit of bad blood um, because a lot of these women were getting like racist messages and harassment and continued to for a while. And Katie was a fan favorite and and I think kind of fed into that by saying it was their own fault and they deserved it. And I can imagine um, that if Katie feels they deserved it, maybe she doesn't want to be their friend. And if they feel like Katie um, was justifying the kind of harassment they were receiving from the audience, maybe they don't feel super excited to build bridges either. Um, We don't know all the details of that, but that was a moment that we saw that did kind of strike me. We have a question that's more current about Bachelor in Paradise from Alex Hazelton. I have a question about the two clickbait hosts, Joe and Natasha. Were they recording while in paradise? Also, Natasha pretending to not know who Piper was last week while having a podcast that literally covers The Bachelor just seemed to insult the audience. Are they trying to protect them? Derek was vilified for having a podcast. But clickbait is a sponsored podcast. Because mm. Derek was, um, Derek Path was hosting, co-hosting, the bachelor when he was on. And I do vaguely remember that being a bit of a thread, like, Oh, he's just here to get material for the podcast. (laughs) Sort of. And now the uh, official, there's like five official bachelor podcasts. I don't listen to clickbait. um, And so I always forget that Joe and Natasha have a podcast to get like, I keep being like, Oh, did Joe even know anyone in paradise? And I was like, they literally do a podcast together. Um, I don't think they recorded while they were in paradise. I listened to a little bit um, of snippets from this season of the podcast to get ready for this. And there definitely was like a welcome back from paradise um, episode uh, where Tasha was like, I missed you guys while you were in paradise. <laughs> so that certainly made it seem like they didn't record in paradise. Um, I do think that the, just the standards for a paradise are always evolving. Like things are always a scandal on one season that aren't the next season because 
these things are part of the ecosystem. Like recent cast members have podcasts and people still want to see them on the beach. So it has recent, to be okay. <laughs> right. Recent, recent Bachelor alums slide into each other's DMs and people still want to see them on the beach. So it has to be okay. Um, and then we see this ongoing negotiation of like, what are the limits of how okay it is? I think that we're seeing that like negotiated in real time. Yeah. With the Brendan and Piper stuff. Right. The Brendan and Piper stuff. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Tammy and Aaron were definitely in each, like, basically we're like almost openly like, oh, hey, it's you. Hey. Like all kinds of people clearly had DM'd each other, but because they arrived at the same time or whatever, it was not a big deal. And I don't think they had met in person. Yeah. Like, I think that's what different. Right. So then it becomes like, oh, but you met in person. Like, that's different from just being like, hey, like, hope to see you on the beach. They're negotiating this stuff all the time. It is interesting that they don't mention it. Like, that I was allowed to forget that Natasha and Joe have a podcast together. When that it does seem like relevant context, that they have a friendship that they work together, it does seem like it might be relevant context to include. Um, so I do think it's possible that they're trying to to avoid that being a storyline. But I think that part of that is also not just in editing. I think it's probably also the case that the rest of the cast isn't that bothered by it. So yeah. I, I don't think, see why they would be. Right, like it, it felt a little bit ginned up with Derek. Like, okay, so he has a podcast. Like, how is that going to like change anything about him being on the beach. Like, it never really made sense why people were so upset by it. But um, people like Joe, people like Natasha, and now they're going to know a person with a big Bachelor Nation platform better than they did before. So, like, what's the downside to them for for getting to know Joe and Natasha better on the beach? Um, I think that the interests of production and of the cast are aligned in the sense of wanting Joe and Natasha's platform to be useful to them yeah i think you're right list your top characters on bip so far one man and one woman it's going to be a short list of two each i'm getting stuck on the man again one woman definitely taj Wan. oh my god yeah my hero yeah that, i'm sorry taj for me too she's perfect she's the protagonist of paradise she's the character that you relate to that allows you to enter this weird world but also she's like the romantic lead where you're like, I just want her to like stumble awkwardly into love that's like perfect and stunning. You know, she brings all of that to the table. She's funny. She's relatable, but still incredibly beautiful. She's just I'm got just it all. I'm happy that, right, she has gotten, like, I, I feel like she was, because she came in late last time. She was sort of like a gimmicky side character. And I, I love that she's like really in the mix this time. And we get to know her as more than just sort of a punchline. But she still remains extremely funny and entertaining and relatable. And that is just, it's a, a perfect combination. I think for men, hmm, I think I, right now, I'd say Joe has been like the most compelling character <laughs> His, his, like, <laughs> his, the way he, like, wanders around the beach with his big yeah. white arms swinging around. And his, it's, like, his, <laughs> like, awkward sadness and, like, blowing little bubbles at the camera when he gets 
awkward and is trying not to cry. Like that really does it for me. Yeah. It's been working. We both, uh, we both really crave a relatable king and queen. I think that's clear. Yeah. I think that Joe brings a little bit of what Taj Wan has to the table. I do think he's funny. Um, although in a much more, um, Understated, understated way, way. or but they both have kind of like a self-deprecating like goofy yeah. vibe going and yet are like desirable and you're like what do you have to be self-deprecating about um you're hot you're, hot. <laughs> you're both literally <laughs> and figuratively hot i'm kind of annoyed that katie's guys are all like being so clickish to be honest and that they're spending a lot of time rehashing drama and connor is like driving me crazy i'm sorry like i definitely Oh, I was listening to Bachelor. What? I was listening to a bunch of Bachelor recaps uh, the other day. Someone had on Lance. Was it Nick? Uh, had on Lance as a guest, and Lance was like, "The one thing that Connor asked me was whether his song made it on the first episode of Bachelorette because they were there taping while it was airing." And he just was like, "Oh, did my song make it?" That's all he wanted to know. And I was like. Connor, we trusted you. I didn't really Connor. trust him. Like, <laughs> yikes. Um, it's getting to be a lot for me. I hate puns. It's just, like, chill. Um, I still have a soft spot for him. But he's... But uh, I'd still pick Joe over him, for sure. My soft spots uh, still are for Brendan and Ivan, even though Brendan is acting like a fuckboy. And... I know. That's why I couldn't choose him. It's just he's... Yeah. And we haven't seen know. enough of Ivan. It's just, like... Well, exactly. Moments here and there. I love yeah. Ivan, but he hasn't really broken out quite yet. I did I hope, love I have hope. how great he was on the date with Jasenia. I thought he really was modeling great conversational partner behavior in that conversation. And I was like, yes, Ivan. Um, yeah, generally speaking, aside from like Demi uh, and Victoria's, Victoria's, I think the women are great, um, but Taj is, Taj is the all-star. And uh, Harry points out that Joe is important because... We're keeping strong regional accents alive. Everyone on we TV do love to can't see just that. have some sort of like blurred together, Bland, coastal no accent, accent. You know, we love that for Joe. And uh, I think that's going to be it for us. Ending on a positive note. Thank you everyone so much for all your questions. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Actually, more fun than I expected uh, to be candid. It was, it was really fun and we'd love to do it again. So Keep sending yeah, questions. send us more questions if you have them, if they just come up at random times. We'll just kind of do one of these whenever we, we get a critical mass of questions to answer. So that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Harry Huggins. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please, please, please rate us five stars, leave a review, and most importantly, tell all of your friends who used to listen to us as here to make friends. Help us get the word out about our new name. You can also find us on Twitter at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at Claire and Emma Pod. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back on the beach next week to recap another week in paradise. Can you keep up? Stitcher. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.